we're in Mark again, and um, last week uh, Chris spoke about the. Um, this is going to be a problem. Last week, <laughs> Chris spoke about you know Jesus being really good at keeping the main thing the main thing. So even though everybody was crowding on him and there was healing and everything, but Jesus was very clear about what was important. And in the middle of everything else, he just kept the main thing, the main thing. I thought that was a really brilliant message. And I'm going to follow on from that. We are reading from Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 19. And yeah, just show you can show that. Um, and I will read, uh, just try follow me, I'll just read it. I'm going to read you what it says in Mark, and then I'm also going to read a sort of parallel um, scripture from Luke, which says the same time, the same thing, but slightly different words. You remember that when we talked about Mark, some of you people that are smaller than, than me, you remember we said that Mark is like a fast-paced quick moving, kind of like a documentary, getting witness accounts. So he kind of moves bam, 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 really quickly. Do you remember that? Yeah. And so sometimes when you read Mark, there may be some bits that are missing, the bit of details that can help us. And so today we're going to read a little bit of Mark and then I'm going to read the corresponding uh, scripture in Luke. So Mark chapter three, verse 13 to 19. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Debedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's read the next one, the Luke version. It says this, similar thing. This time a bit more detail. He says, in, this, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Yeah? All night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 16. So we, you see that the, the 12 are named very, very clearly. In, some, um, some of, in, in Matthew, they're slightly different names. We know that, that Bartholomew is also called Nathaniel. Um, so, so if you see Nathaniel as a disciple, that's the same guy as Bartholomew. Judas, the son of James, is also Thaddeus. Thaddeus had loads of names, actually, but that's the same guy. Um, they, they, they all had a way of distinguishing. There's two Jameses, there's two Judases, there's two Simons. So they had to, you know, kind of distinguish them. Um, does anyone watch the, the, the Chosen? Chosen fans? My family don't count. They get forced to watch The Chosen. It's like we are watching The Chosen. Sit down. If you, if you, if you haven't watched it, you'll, you'll get a little taste of it uh, today. I'm going to show you a little bit of, of that today. Um, Holy Spirit, speak. 
Amen. So here's the thing. We're gonna, let me just break down this situation for a bit. So you remember, do you remember last time I spoke in Mark, I told you that it's like an eyewitness and I told you about this lady called Doris, Doris Lemon who was like there telling us about, you know, what happened with Jesus. And um, so Doris happened to be at this situation as well. So Mel, don't laugh. I have to be serious. So Doris was there. And so Doris was going. So there we were again. There were loads and 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 loads of people. So many people, so, 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 so many people, weren't there, Dave? Yeah, so many people. And it was all a bit uncomfortable. We're all being pushed and shoved. And Jesus, he was lovely. He was lovely. He wouldn't turn anyone away. People getting healed. Some got, do you remember that horrible evil spirit that came out of that man next to you, Dave? Yeah. It was amazing. Jesus was just doing all sorts. He wouldn't stop. He just kept going. But there were too many people. It was awful. We were getting pushed and shoved. Do you remember that time when uh, Costco was selling those TVs for five pounds? Do you remember all the people just crowding? It felt a bit like that. There was just too many people. And then Jesus, he did this weird thing. He kind of went out in a little boat. We're like, where'd he go? And he was on a boat and he had gone on to the Sea of Galilee and we couldn't quite touch him. And we thought, well, what's going on? Is he not going to heal anyone anymore? But he, had, he didn't go. He just kept talking and telling us about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. So we listened and, you know, and then he just, he just disappeared again. And we couldn't follow him because, you know, Dave and I, we, we like following him. So we're fortunate because we, we don't have to work all the time. So we got a donkey and we loaded it up, you see. So it's a bit like a, like a, like a camper. And we just go wherever he goes. We just follow him around. And we couldn't, we didn't, nobody knew where he'd gone. He just disappeared. And then someone said, isn't that him up the mountain? And we looked up the mountain and there he was. I'm not going up the mountain. We thought we'd just wait for him to come down because he wants to go up a mountain. My knees are not great and, you know, the donkey. And so we didn't go up the mountain. We just saw that he was up the mountain, you know. And then after a while, some of his friends, you know, those people that were hanging around him, they went up too. And then, and then when they came down, they were all at it, weren't they? They were all healing and sending up. All right, Dave. All right. I was getting to that. He never lets me talk. I was getting to that. When they came down, then after that, they were all at it. They were healing and they were kicking out demons and evil spirits. It was amazing. So Doris Lemon gives this account of what happens. And this is what we see. We see Jesus being pushed by a crowd, separating himself, talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's under pressure and he disappears. And the scene is this. We don't know what the mountain is called. We just know he goes up a mountain. Definitely this mountain is close to the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, we know, did nothing without thought and purpose. He didn't just pick somewhere convenient. He didn't just go, let's go around to Costa and have a coffee and talk about this. He picked a quite specific Slightly difficult to get to place. He went up a mountain. Mountains are not for everyone. Let's be clear. Going up the mountain, Doris was not able to handle the mountain. Okay? Mountains are not for everyone. I, when I was at school, I climbed up Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, very cool. Mount Kilimanjaro, for those of you who don't know, highest mountain in Africa, 19,000 feet, fourth highest mountain in the world. Out of all the top 
seven-ish. It's the only one that's a standalone mountain. All the others are, are like in the Everest you know, range or in the Andes or in the Alps. But, but Mount Kilimanjaro, all by himself, 19,000 feet. And I went up that mountain. It was pretty cool. But I'll tell you, before we started, just, you can't just rock up and climb up that mountain. We spent about 10 days at the base of the mountain, which was already higher than where we lived. And we spent 10 days acclimatizing ourselves. So those of you who don't understand what acclimatize means, it means you get used to the way the things are over there. The air is not so great. It's hard to, if you just want to walk from here to here, you have to prepare yourself because the air is thinner. It's not so good. We spent 10 days. By the end of the 10 days, we could run. We could, we were climbing up things, up and down things. We had all these exercises. It was all planned out. And so we were fit. And then, then they said, okay, now you climb the mountain. We're like, are we going to run up the mountain? No, we're just walking up the mountain. So why did we do all that exercise? Just climb up the mountain. You'll see. We went up the mountain. It was amazing. I've spoken to you before about the amazing things that happened on the way. But when we were near the top of the mountain, one of my friends in Gasori, um, she had to be rushed down the mountain. She couldn't breathe. She began to have difficulty breathing. She was coughing. And they put her on the back of a porter. So we're all going up like this with all our bags. And then the porters, <laughs> these guys like are legend. They can run up and down the mountain. They've got packs that are as, twice as big as you. And they're just walking past you. You're going... <sighs> And they're like, kum, 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 running like this. So one of those guys, they put Ngasori on his back. We were at Kibo Hut, which is the highest possible camp spot. Um, after Kibo Hut, it's where, you know when you look at pictures of Kilimanjaro, there's the white bit at the top. Kibo Hut is just at the base of that white bit. So the white bit, you can't hang about there. So we do that in the middle of the night. For about 3, 4 a.m. in the morning, we were woken up and we walked like this. You can't just walk up like this. Walk like this, all the way up to the top. By the time you get to the top, it's about nine o'clock in the morning. The sun is shining. It's amazing. You're on the top, highest point of Africa, but the snow is melting. So you need to get down. Getting down is really quick. It took about half an hour. Seriously, like, I don't know how many hours going up. Five hours? So from about 4 a.m. to about nine. Five hours just to go to the top. Then when we get to the top, it's like, okay, take pictures. Yay, bye. Sliding down like this. Half an hour later, you're at, back at Kibo Hut. But at Kibo Hut, my friend got so ill, they had to put her on the back of a porter and they had to run her down. Literally, like this, the guy was just running with her. Got down, when she got to the bottom, she was fine. She was so annoyed. She was like, I was fine. It was like, literally, it was just the altitude. She had what we call altitude sickness. She got something called pulmonary edema. She got water in her lungs. She couldn't breathe properly. As soon as she got to the right altitude, she was better. The mountain is not for everyone. Are you hearing me? The mountain is not for everyone. But Jesus decides to go up the mountain. So Doris and all that law, they stayed down. And he got his few people and he took them up and he calls them up to the mountain. There's a preparation involved in what's about to happen. Luke says that it was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. This crucial decision of picking 12 disciples, these guys who would spread the gospel after his death, this decision was bathed in prayer, absolutely soaked in prayer. He spent the whole night praying before he called them out. This is an important turning point in his ministry. 
Because remember what Doris said. After that, they, all came, they were all at it. There's something that changed after this point. So he took the time to bathe that decision. I use that word bathe on purpose. Bathe it in prayer. Absolutely everywhere you look around it, he's prayed. This special group of 12 would not only become learners or disciples, which is what many of his followers are, but they would be apostles. These are the ones he would send out. They would carry his message of the kingdom of God after he descended back to the Father. This decision was critical. I want to put it to you because when I, when I was doing this, I asked myself, I said, Audrey, how many critical or crucial decisions have you bathed in prayer? Hmm? How many times have you had a critical decision and you're just like, okay, you're already on the way there. You're saying, Father, bless me as I go and do this. You've already, you've already, you're already doing it and you're just asking him, by the way, to just tap you on the head and say it's okay. Jesus, Jesus, divine Jesus, son of God, spent the whole night in prayer. And trust me, he didn't just come up with it that day. He'd picked them, he'd watched them, he'd seen them, he'd known them. It wasn't just the 12, there were others around. And it says, out of his disciples, he chose 12 after praying all night. Critical decisions require a soaking in prayer. That's, I'll leave that with you. He called and they came. He called and they came. These 12 mortal men who would be privileged to engage in a mighty mission, the greatest in the history of mankind, the original Greek says this, it says these words, it says he summoned those whom he willed. He summoned those whom he willed. He willed. He determined the call. It was his call, not their call. There's no volunteering. There's no application process. He calls, you come. Summoned. The Greek word proskaleo, it means it's, it's not just summoned, but it's summoned unto himself. It's for himself. It's for his purposes. It's not to further your career. It's for his purposes. It's not to make your life better. It's for his purposes. It's not so that you can get a voice. It's for his purposes. Jesus chose with great care from the ranks of many who had come, all those who'd become his followers, he chose those few with him he knew he would spend the next year or so of his life with, in close communion with. The son always did what the father desired and what was pleasing to the father. We know this. So we know that these men are who the father, for his specific purposes, had called through his son. I'll say that again. These men, each of them called because the father thought that they, there was no mistakes. What about Judas? No mistakes. What about that guy that betrayed? No mistakes. He picked the 12 for his own specific purposes. No mistakes. In John 15, Jesus reminds the disciples, you did not choose me. You did not choose me all. I chose you. You did not. He specifically says that. You didn't choose me. My guy, you might think that you thought I was cool and you'd follow me. I chose you and appointed you. Appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. That's John 15, 16. He called, they came. This balance is always there with God when God deals with men. He calls and you come. You still have to come though. You still have to make the choice to come. 
There's a definitive choice of will to follow Jesus. And so once again, you see this, this the best word is juxtaposition of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. God has said, you choose. It comes together. It's how God works. And Jesus had to remind them that he called them because this was unusual. You may think it's obvious that if you go apply for a job, you said you pick, you go through the, the job listings, you pick one, you're like, I want to go there, and you go and you apply for it. That's not how it worked actually in those days. When you had a rabbi, a teacher, you chose whose teaching you wanted to follow. You chose who you thought was more charismatic. You, maybe you chose them because of location. That one operates close to my mother's house, so I can always nip in for dinner. You chose who you were going to follow. That was how it worked. But in this, with this set, there was nothing like that. Jesus chose. And he reminds them, I chose you. What you need to understand is that with the, the Greek word appointed is the word poio, which means, it's the same word, I'll get to that, but it means he made. He ma- it's not just that he, he picked them, he made 12. That's what it says. Having been called... And then coming, they became the 12. He made them the 12. I'll I'll stress a bit what I want to say. This word he made, it's a common phrase, but I think that Mark intentionally uses it because it's the same phrase that is used in the beginning. God made heaven and earth. And there's a suggestion that the 12 are like a new creation. They were all them things doing all whatever they were doing. And then he picks them, and they come, and then he makes something new. Yeah? Very important. Being a disciple isn't about what you can do for Jesus. It's about what Jesus can make of you. I'll say that again. Being a disciple isn't about what you can bring and do for Jesus. He's picked you. He wants you. It's about what he can make of you. I feel God wants me to say right now, there's somebody who needs to know that Jesus wants you. Yeah, can't move on until I've said that. There's somebody here that God wants to know, Jesus wants you. He has picked you and he wants you and it's about what he will make of you. I'll leave it there. Why 12? Why 12 men? It's obviously intentional. Nothing is by mistake. It was intentional and, and, and many would agree and there doesn't seem to be much um, amongst them clever scholar people. There doesn't seem to be much disagreement about the fact that, they, that it corresponds to the 12 Jewish patriarchs or the, te- the 12 tribes. We know that in, in Revelation, it talks about in the time of the regeneration, the millennium, they shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's talking about, it gives the 12 names of the 12 apostles of Jesus. So we know that these 12 are not just here for the extension of Jesus's earthly ministry after he leaves. Their function extends beyond to where they will sit in judgment over all of Israel. These 12 are a big deal. They are a big deal. So let's see. Who are they? Who are you? Who are you? The 12. It becomes a technical term for this group in Scripture, always called the 12. But who were they? What they, what they were was a weird choice, I think. We all know that it was weird. Why are you picking these ones? It was a weird choice. Um, 
I'll do my own slides because this is how it is in this time. Oh, no, just wait a minute. Who, who knows what the, the lion guard? The lion guard? Anyone know about the lion guard? Two people in the room. Two fools. So you all know about the lion king? You know the lion king? So the lion guard is an extension of the lion king because you may not know, but there's a backstory. There's a backstory to the lion king, you know? Backstory, there's a backstory. So you see, here's the thing. Back in the day, there was a, there was a team of people, of lions, called the lion guard, right? So whenever there's a king, the king's first child becomes the next king or queen. The king's second child becomes the leader of the lion guard. The lion guard has a specific purpose to defend the circle of life. It's a circle of life. That thing. Okay? They have a specific purpose to defend the circle of life and to protect the pride lands. Okay? So there's this specific group of lions whose job this is. You can't just rock up and be a lion guard, okay? First of all, you have to inherit the position of leader of the lion guard. And what happens is the leader of the lion guard acquires something called the roar of the elders, a specific roar that, that they acquire. They get it from this place called the tree of life or something like that. The roar of the elders, we're not going to go into the spirituality of all of that. But anyway, so there's, a, there's a, the roar of the elders that you acquire. And then you have this roar that when you roar it, it's very frightening and does crazy things and pushes away the enemy and helps you to win battles. And you protect the, circle, the, the pride lands and the circle of life like this. So then, you then, when you become the leader of the lion guard, you then pick the members of the lion guard. Right? You pick them. They're hand-picked, hand-chosen. You see where we're going here? Press the button. That one there, that one. So in the, the very first lion guard was a guy called Askari. Askari was, I think he was like a great-great-grandfather of Simba, something like that. So Askari is a Swahili word meaning God. That's literally what Askari means in Swahili, a god. So Askari was the first lion guard. We, because it's a backstory, we've never seen him in live action. So there's a, 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 some sort of stone painting of him. That's him and his lion guard. Okay? That's how they looked. And then, there's, you, you guys all know Scar, right? Hey, so Scar. Do you know what Scar was? Scar was the second son of the king. Yeah, Mufasa was the first son. Scar was the second son. So Scar was the head of the lion guard. Yes, so he had the roar of the elders. But he messed it up. He went at the things. He went too far. And we all know what happened to Scar in the end, right? Scar. But anyway, so as things go, Scar, obviously, things happened. And then we've got... So if you show Scar's, Scar's, Scar's guard, that's Scar's guard. So Scar had a lion guard as well, okay? They were all there. If you show the next slide... This is, this is the, the, the current lion guard, okay? Vitani. Sorry, this might be a spoiler for those of you who have not seen the latest episodes. Vitani is the current head of the lion guard, okay? She's a she, and that's her lion guard. So in between Vitani and Scar, Simba had children, right? Two children, 
Simba and Nala had two. Oh, sorry, three children. I lie. Okay, one, okay. First child, Kiara, who would be the queen. Second child, Kian. Second child, so he develops the roar of the elders. He becomes the lion, head of the lion guard, and he has to pick a lion guard. Look at his lion guard. Just a slide. Which kind of nonsense? Everybody else has lions. Lions, because we're a lion guard. This is Kian's lion guard. There's two birds. There's a leopard, we might be helpful. There's a hippo. Oh, it's a cheetah, sorry. There's a hippo. We don't understand. We do not understand this. It's weird. But somehow, this lion guard sorted things out. They sorted things out. Thank you. By worldly standards, you can sit down. Thank you, teacher. By this standard, the, by the world standard, these 12 that Jesus picked were weird. It's exactly like that. Simba told his son, he's like, my guy, what kind of lion god have you picked? And by the world standard, when you looked at these 12 men, not a single man of them, single one of them was a man of wealth or rank or culture. No special positions, no special education, no trained theologians, no high-ranking churchmen. There were just 12 ordinary folk. They were amongst the weak things, amongst the base things, the despised things of the world. But they were chosen of God. Within these weak people, weak, base, despised, he would use them to put to shame the wise and the strong, and he would bring the wise and the strong to nothing. God is continually putting his treasure into earthen vessels. That's what he does. You take someone like Martin Luther, who we all know, not King, the original Martin Luther, who was the son of a poor miner, poverty-stricken student, okay? He used to sing for his bread. And God puts his truth in Martin Luther and uses him to bring spiritual freedom to half of Europe. That's, that's how he does it. There would be no Christianity without these 12, fisher, these 12 men who are fishermen and all, this, all these things. Simple, humble people. God uses them. There are a lot of kings and famous men and rich men who have gone and come and nobody knows their name. How many people have a son called James? How many people have children called Nathaniel and Peter and Simon? Judas? No. The one who betrayed him. No, okay. We don't pick Judas. So that's a good plan. Don't pick that one. But do you hear what I'm saying? Their legacy continues. Everybody starts with John or James or Mark. You know what I mean? That, that's who we pick from. doesn't matter what culture you come from. Whether you're from, from South America or Africa or, the, or Britain, you're still thinking James, John, you know? Most of the master's men are little more than names to us. But the Lord knew them through and through. He knew Thomas was doubting. He knew that John was devoted. He knew that Matthew was diligent to the T. Look at Matthew's gospel. He doesn't miss a comma out. He doesn't miss anyone out in the lineage. He, he doesn't miss. He knew this guy would be diligent. He knew that Judas was devious. 
He knew. He knew that Andrew was dependable. He knew that Peter was strong and daring. He knew that Nathaniel was discerning. He knew these things about these guys. Peter, he called him the rock for a reason. James and John, the sons of thunder. It's interesting. I like that. The rock and the sons of thunder. Jesus looked at these group of 12 men and saw, okay, what we need is a rock and two loud voices. It's, it's crazy. But he acknowledged there was a leader. There was one who ultimately proved to be the rock. The steady one who everyone would look to for leadership. Who they would look on for, for guidance. Through the, Old Testament, through the New Testament, you see. Oh, then they all went to Peter and asked Peter. He's the one that they would look to. James left his mark by lying down, laying down his life first. He was the first martyr. There's something in that. Something weighty in that. John, he stayed till the end. He was the last martyr. But he gathered up all the apostolic witness. He solidified it. He gave it to us through his final expression, through the gospel of John. Unlike any other gospel, he gave the letters of John. He gave us revelation. Picked for a specific purpose. Completely different. John was a fisherman. He wrote Revelation. This was the leadership within the 12. And our Lord dealt with them so that they may witness ultimately to multitudes. And eventually all the world. Jesus was content to work with these guys. And so he's content to work with you. This is when we get to application. Application ting time. Three things that Jesus called them for. It says, and he appointed the 12, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him. They, and he might send them out to preach. And they would have authority to cast out demons. The first thing is that they would be with him. This is a biggie. It's the start. It's the beginning. All them other things don't happen without them being with him first. They were called to a personal experience first. Jesus doesn't want people to talk about Christianity like an advocate. He doesn't want you to be there as a salesman on behalf of Christianity saying it's a really good way of life. It's a great moral teaching. You need to be an effective witness and that happens when you've met with Jesus. When you've been transformed with Jesus, something has happened to you. And more than that, when you're being with Jesus, something is continually happening with you. There's a continual transformation. Just before this happened, Jesus had shut down some demons who were declaring, you're the son of God. He shut down that witness. Because that's a witness too. He shut down that witness from demons who were shouting his impressive titles, even though they were true. Because he'd rather have the witness of changed lives and empowered words. Words from men who had been with him, whose lives were different as a result. They were sent after being with him to say what they had heard and learned. And therefore had the power to speak with authority, even over demons. This was the witness he chose. And this is the witness he still chooses. Not the noisy demon who's making noise. He wants the one whose life has been transformed and whose words and what they've learned will demonstrate that they have been walking with the king of kings. Yeah? 
A believer has to be with Jesus before he or she can do for Jesus. So many people try to do and you minimize the importance of being. And so it's not surprising when you're doing becomes just that. You're there. It's your doing. Your doing, not his. His Holy Spirit is not there. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You need to be with him. And then you're equipped and prepared to do for Jesus in the power of his spirit. In Acts 4, from verse 13, it says, the, 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 you see the, the, the disciples, the, the apostles rather, and as they, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. This is the opposing Jewish leaders looking at them. He said that they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they were amazed and began to recognize them as having having been with Jesus. Be with him. How are we to be with Jesus today? These days it's so easy. There's podcasts, there's, there's, there's things online, there's, 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 there's the old book style. His word, Jesus is the word. Spend time with him in the word. Prioritize time with him. I cannot emphasize this enough. This is one line in my whole you know, list of things to say in this sermon today. But Take the time to be with him. If you think you're spending enough time with him, you're probably not. If you're spending six hours a day with him for what you're doing, maybe you need more. Go home today and reconsider. Am I being with him? Am I just ticking off a box and reading my daily devotional? Or am I being with him? If someone saw me, would they go, that one looks like they've been hanging out with Jesus. The second thing is they were sent to preach. Once having been with him, learned from him, you're sent out to say what you've learned from being with him. It's purposeful evangelism. The word that is used from the Greek is this word keruso from kerox or kerox. It's a herald. And this, this, this job title, the imperial herald, it's someone who would enter the, the town on behalf of a king or an emperor and make a public proclamation of the message from which his sovereign or his king has ordered them to give. And they do it with formality and they do it with gravity. Hear ye, hear ye. And everyone goes quiet and it's formal and he opens it up and he speaks with gravity, with authority to emphasize that this message must be heeded. Because it comes from a sovereign. It was his duty to proclaim loudly, extensively, the coming of an earthly king. And the glorious gospel that we have announces the coming of a king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus was sending out these 12 to make public proclamation of the gospel with gravity, with formality, and with authority. So that the good news was not just heard, but heeded. Because it came from a sovereign. The herald didn't add his own things to the message. He didn't add anything. He read what was on there. It was sealed and then he closed it. He didn't take anything out. He didn't edit it. And we all know in Revelation 22, it's, we're warned about anybody who dares to take anything out of this. We give people exactly what our master requires us to give, nothing more, nothing less. Go sent with what you've been sent to give and then shut up 
Don't start adding your extra. Okay, no, it's okay, because sometimes Jesus does understand when you do. No, why are you adding things that were not there? Why are, you, why are you changing the gospel so that it fits the current trend? Why are you modifying things so that it sits well in the room? Say what you were sent to say and shut up. No editing. You're a herald. That's it. You're not a co-writer of the word. You're not, a, you're not, you know, you're a herald. You proclaim what the sovereign has told you to say and no more and no less. We are called, we're commissioned, we're empowered as his representatives, his mouthpiece to proclaim the good news. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus' authority and work was multiplied in the activities of the 12. Doris told us, after that, they were all at it. You know? Doris's cousin down in wherever, she met two of those disciples. They healed her husband's leg. They told him of the... She didn't have to go there. She didn't have to take her donkey that side. Because it was multiplied. And so to us, Jesus' authority and his work should be multiplied in our activities. He will do what I did and more, he said. Wow. This is a big deal. Remember what I said, those 12 disciples, they were a big deal. And when Jesus left, he gave us a great commission and he told us to do exactly the same thing that he told them to do. When you've been sent, you, what you have, what you have to do is a big deal. Power and authority. The third thing, he sent them out that they would have authority over demons. Deliverance from darkness. So if you look at the other trans, uh, the other. Um, uh, gospels, they don't just mention demons, they talk about sickness and you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a deliverance from whatever darkness a person is in we're given power over all opposition some people today want authority but they're unwilling to first go through Jesus' school of discipleship and surrender to his authority you don't just get to authority you first be with him you first be with him, you're in that place of surrender you understand who he is. You don't take things lightly. You know what authority means. You know who he is. You know what his word means, what his name carries, the weight of his word. So before you open your mouth and carry the authority that he's given you, you recognize what that authority is. Don't just go out wanting authority. The word authority, exousia, I'm sorry, I'm giving you lots of great lessons came to church to learn authority or right it's the power to do something it's a technical term it was used in court it's a legal right it combines the idea of having the right and the might you not only are, are entitled to do it but you have the weight of the law behind you to do it there's right and might these these attributes are being given to someone so when you have been given authority it means that you've been given the right you're supposed to say it you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to speak over that demon. You're supposed to speak into that person's healing. And you know what? You have the might as well. You have the weight of the law. You have the weight of that name of Jesus behind you. And thereby you demonstrate the power of the kingdom of light over the kingdom of darkness. That's the agenda. 
is to, to proclaim the kingdom of light. Satans and demons have power, but it's delegated to them by the all-powerful God. Spiritual warfare is not a power struggle. Don't get it twisted. It's not a power struggle. It's not who has more power. The power their power is delegated. It's like, can you hold this for me? It's not yours. It's delegated. Spiritual warfare is not a power struggle. Spiritual warfare is a truth struggle. It's about who's, who is true. The truth of God versus the lies of the devil. One or other will take residence in your mind or in the mind of the other person that you're speaking to. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's not about who has the more power. It's about whose truth is lying on top. Yeah? This is where the battle is. It's another reason why we need to be daily in the word of truth. So our minds are not conformed to the lies of this fallen passing word. Romans 12, 2 tells us that. Let not your minds be conformed. So in summary, 12 guys, big deal. Jesus prepared for them. He, he went up a mountain. Mountain is not for everybody. You go up the mountain with him, you get chosen, and then he sends you out to do three things. He picks you to do three things, to be with him. Don't move anywhere else until you've been with him. And once you're with him, then you move out. And you only speak the things that you've been sent to speak. And when you speak them, you recognize the authority with which you have. And you remember that this is not a power struggle. But my truth that I know from the word of God must prevail in my mind and in the mind of the person I'm speaking to. One of my bestest friends is a guy called Charles Spurgeon. I'm going to, yeah, why are you laughing? I know him. I know him. Ah, me and Charles. Anyway, Charles Spurgeon, I'm going to play you a clip from The Chosen um, to end. It's about 10 minutes, so just enjoy it. If you've never watched The Chosen, just be prepared after this to go and download some things. I'll give you all, I'll come and find me. I'll tell you all. There's so many ways to watch The Chosen. There's Netflix, there's Amazon Prime. Those are the beginning series. If you want to act the other seasons, you'll need to download the Angel app. It's free. The Chosen, by the way, is crowdfunded. But if anyone doesn't know, the whole production of this TV series is crowdfunded. So, it's, so you people watch it and go, oh my gosh, I need to watch more. Jesus is amazing. Take my money. That's how it works. And then they make all their seasons. So, so just heads up as well, if you didn't know, season four is out. Yeah? It's coming out. So, so, so the, there's, there was a premiere in London, Leicester Square, of about five days ago. They were all there, Jesus on the stage, wearing a leopard print jacket. Honestly, he was wearing a leopard print jacket. Yeah, he was wearing like a, it was, it was nice, but it was kind of leopardy. But he was so cool. He said something. They were asking about what's it like to be Jesus and be tech on the way. And he was saying, you know, that, that sometimes you think you're going to play something. Because most of the time I just have to pray and ask God how he wants me to do this. So he's a Christian. They're not all Christians, but the guy who plays Jesus is a Christian. And, and he literally said that on stage. He said, I have to pray and ask God. He said it in Leicester Square. I have to ask God how he wants me to play. Because sometimes you think you've played it and you're doing it the way God told you to do it. And you're thinking it doesn't really work. And then you watch it all together and you're like, oh, that makes sense. So, so I'm going to show you a clip. And this is a clip related to, um, it's actually taken from the Matthews version of the, of the sending out of the 12. So it's actually not on a mountain side. It's actually in... 
Simon's house. Um, what is that opposite of what I said? Jesus chooses a mountain. Okay, this one is set in Simon's house and he's sending out the 12. And the, the thing about the chosen is the chosen is about the chosen. Jesus is at the center of it, but you recognize that Jesus is going to die at some point and is going to carry on because it's about them. And you learn that the disciples, there's a lot of um, creative license taken in terms of building up their characters. But everything, most of the things that they say are absolutely correct and in line with the word of God. Um, and you'll see their different characters. You see their confusion and perplexity when they're being sent out. So enjoy that, that clip. But before we show you the clip, I'm going to leave you with these words. Because after that plays, you can go have coffee. I'll be here um, ready to pray with anybody who feels that they, they need um, prayer for whatever, anything that we've mentioned or anything that, that's outside of that. But before I close, I'm going to read these, these words from Charles Spurgeon. I won't do his voice because I don't know how he sounds. Uh, the call of Christ's servants comes from above. Jesus stands on the mountain evermore above the world in holiness, earnestness, love and power. And those whom he calls must go up the mountain to him. They must seek to rise to his level by living in constant communion with him. They must, like Moses, go up to the mount of God and have close relationship with the unseen God. Or they will never be fitted to proclaim the gospel of peace. Jesus went apart to hold high fellowship with the Father. And we must enter into the same divine companionship if we would bless our fellow men. This morning, we must endeavor to ascend the Mount of Communion that there we may be ordained for the life work for which we are set apart. Let us not see the face of man today before we've seen Jesus. Time spent with him is laid out at blessed interest. We too shall cast out devils and work wonders if we go down into the world girded with that divine energy which Christ alone can give. It is of no use going to the, world, to the Lord's battle till we are armed with heavenly weapons. We must see Jesus. This is essential. Amen.